I've got cancer, but I'm part of a clinical trial that could lead to new breakthroughs. I've got cancer, but I've also got researchers working together to find a cure. If you or a loved one has cancer, you need New Jersey's only comprehensive cancer center designated by the National Cancer Institute. I've got cancer, but I've also got hope. Learn more at rwjbh.org slash beatcancer. RWJ Barnabas Health and Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey. Let's beat cancer together. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Speak of the Devils is supported by Riverside Oral Surgery, official partner of the New Jersey Devils. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, along with Sam Kassan. Welcome to this latest edition of Speak of the Devils, the podcast sponsored by our good friends at RWJ Barnabas Health. And Sam, it's been a while since we've interacted, uh, since the season has come to an end. What's what's kept you busy lately? Oh, we just had the NHL Combine up in Buffalo, so got to see and meet with a lot of the prospects and a lot of development that goes on there. And you really see the inside workings or machinations, if you will, of how these guys are interviewed, the, how you try to get an idea of their personality, get an idea of their background, their psychology, and all that kind of leads us into our guest today. But you really do get a feel for these players, and you're trying to find guys that are a good fit for the organization, not only on the ice, but off the ice, I think is a huge component to it. But obviously, people that don't know the combine, everyone goes to Buffalo and Teams get to interview upwards of 60-some-odd prospects throughout the week. There's fitness testing. There's all this stuff. And it's all part of this huge book that they put together on these guys. So when it comes time to make that pick on July 7th or 8th in the draft, all right, we, we've met all these guys. This is what separates the guys when they put their boards together. So we're taking this guys. And then, of course, once that happens, they're in the hands of the development staff, which is, I believe, where our guests will come in here, Manny. Absolutely. The devil selecting number two overall. And unfortunately, we always focus on the first round, uh, but there are other picks that the devils will have as well. And so the hard work has continued. It hasn't begun. It's, it's a long process to put that book together, but the process continues. And indeed, it is a pleasure to welcome our guest to the podcast, Dr. Angus Mugford newly named Senior VP, Player Development and Performance, overseeing athlete care and performance and player development. Welcome, Angus, to Speak of the Devils. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here, and, and thanks for having me. So you come to the New Jersey Devils from the Toronto Blue Jays, but first just talk a little bit about getting your feet wet on the hockey side. Uh, you've been with the organization now for a short period of time. As Sam mentioned, part of the organization's represented, uh, representation in Buffalo. Just tell us what the last couple of months have been like for you. It's certainly been a whirlwind. Um, I was actually very grateful that I was able to join for the last week of the season so I could really you know, meet everybody. And, and while I know it wasn't the end of the season that everybody had hoped for or were working towards, it was helpful for me to um, to understand the routine, the ebb and flow of a day, you know, compared to a baseball day or, or some of the other environments I've been in. So I know I'm um, learning thick and fast and, and um, you know, but there are a lot of great people here. You know, I really do believe in in the mission. And so, 
you know, getting myself up to speed, you know, um, meeting the people and, and understanding an environment and, and, uh, and, and what the devils are all about has been a great, a whirlwind, but, but great. So good to get. Having covered baseball in my career. Yeah. The big difference is there's no morning batting practice in baseball. You show up at, uh, well, players can show up whenever they want, but basically, you know, the media shows up around three, there's BP and then you get the game, but there's always a morning skate and then back to the hotel or back to your home and back to the ring for the game on the hockey side. So it's certainly different from that standpoint, but there are many other differences as well. So you oversee the athlete care and performance end of things and the player development side, Chris Stackpole, uh, represented on the athlete care and performance side and Megan Duggan in her new role as the director of player development. So they'll report to you. So some would look at player development and athlete performance as different. Why are they combined in one? I think that's part of what was really exciting to me about the the vision that the, the devils have. I think look, whether it's an NHL team or, or major league team or, or an NFL team, like I think every team have a lot of experts at the table. So from scouting to performance to coaching. Um, but I think the truly great teams are the ones that put it all together that, you know, the, the players are in the middle, you know, just like uh, the team is, is in this, the heart of that. Um, and the rest of us really work together to create the best program we can for them to win um, but, you know, getting better every day. And so on development and performance specifically, um, it's how do we help every player uh, get better every day, physically, mentally, and fundamentally with the skill they have on, on the ice. So to me, it's really working hand in hand um, and not looking at those things as a, a bunch of separate experts, but really, you know, what's the best thing for the, for the player to thrive and for the team to win ultimately. And what will obviously the the role is to oversee the athletic care with Chris uh, Stackpole and oversee the development with Megan. But what's kind of like the day to day nitty gritty? Not getting too into the fine details, but give fans that might not know a lot of what the what that role is. Like, how do you kind of go about doing that? Giving them the best care, giving them the best programs for development. What goes into that process? Yeah, great, great question. And and maybe I would even actually go a step further back out. And you know, you mentioned the. Um, you know, the scouting combine and just coming back from Buffalo. But and even the way we looked at this in baseball too is like, do we really understand the potential of each player? So again, physically, mentally, fundamentally, they're all different. They all, you know, they're all special, you know, when it comes to to being NHL players. But what is it that that makes them particularly special? And I think Chris Stackpole's team is is amazing, you know, and they have kept guys for a really brutal sport, you know, the, the health factor has been really strong. Um, so I really respect what those guys have done. And, and a lot of that is understanding, you know, physically, mentally, what does it take to get that guy prepared and on the ice to compete at the highest level and then recover so that they're ready to do that again tomorrow. Um, and I would say developmentally is very similar. It's like, what makes this guy tick? You know, how do we help him grow and improve and get better? Um, we're just looking at that from a broader lens. So the scouts, often they're looking the longest down the road. You know, what's this guy going to be like in five years? What's the potential of him? And do we really understand what that is like physically and mentally too? So we can create a really individualized game plan of how to get the most out of that guy. And then, 
you know, the organization helping us put the resources in place, you know, and how can we then help coaches, you know, accelerate that relationship. So we're not wasting time, but we really get to know this player in and out as quick as we can and to really help them thrive. Um, and it's not about putting all the best individuals on the ice. We are ultimately looking at how do we create a team environment and guys who want to compete and play and win together. So really trying to stack those things so that individually we're optimizing things for each guy, but we're really trying to do that as a team that that's together on the ice. And when you look at the playoffs, I think, you know, you're seeing the kind of the healthiest um, competitive teams and individuals out on the ice. And, and that's obviously where we want to be um, as soon as we can too. That's a great point. Cause I feel like when you look at the playoffs, it's not always the best teams, but the healthiest teams that end up making deeper runs. Not to say that I don't take anything away from the New York Rangers, but they did end up facing two third string goaltenders to get to where they are. So little luck playing a role. You said you you came on in the final week of the regular season. How much interaction did you have with some of the individual Devils players and how important is it to kind of get their feedback too and kind of meet them on a one-on-one -on -one basis to get an idea of, you, you mentioned, I mean, we'll delve a little more into the psychology of things, but to get that one-on-one -on -one time to really get an idea of who this player is and how to better make them work. Oh, honestly, I would, part of it for me was also not getting in the way. <laughs> so a very, a very soft touch and, and just being a, a new face and, um, uh, you know, getting to know people. And, and so able was able to interact some and, and, um, but certainly a lot more questions I want to ask when, when guys come in and they're off season and, you know, when there's less chaos going on, but, but I think you make a great point is that, it is feedback, you know, feedback is a super important thing from, from players, from staff, um, you know, so we're not making assumptions and, and my, my level of hockey knowledge is, is super low. So I have a ton of respect for the fact that you're asking me to come in and, and share some insight, but, but frankly, um, you know, I have so much to learn and, and a lot of that is, is from the individuals, from the players, from the staff and, and really, design and build something together um again acknowledging all the great work that's been done but but how can we improve you know we're not there yet and so what are those inputs like and i think you know for the most part i really felt welcoming i felt um players know that people care about them um and i think you know there's just the next levels now of, of how can we be better um and what does what does practice look like? You know, how do we prepare for games? How do we learn from disappointment? How do we learn from success? Um, and I think that's probably one of the things that I have a track record of and, and that I'm excited to bring is, is to embrace learning um, because every day is an opportunity for us to do that. And it's the only way actually for us to get a sustainable competitive advantage against a lot of other great teams is can we learn quicker, <laughs> you know, and, and can we, can we really uh, translate that onto the ice into things that help us win? Your success precedes you uh, and your reputation precedes you coming to the Devils. I mentioned you were with Toronto for seven years. There you helped establish Major League Baseball's first ever sports science department where you tied all these various factions, nutrition, sports psychology, strength and conditioning uh, into one. And uh, the Blue Jays are acknowledged as A, being ahead of the field and 
being the beneficiaries of that. So I understand why the New Jersey Devils were attracted to Angus Mugford. What attracted the Devils to you? Why did you want to make the change? And what what gave you the impetus to say, you know, I'm going to pursue this and, and see if I can move to a, another sport and bring the same level of expertise and success? Oh, first of all, it was very kind. Thank you. And I, uh, I do... It was an incredible journey with Toronto, you know, and I can't say enough great things about the leadership there and the vision. Um, and honestly, it wasn't on my radar really until being approached. And But the more I spoke to people, the more deeply resonated. And and I think, I, you know, it was a big building process. You know, there were a lot of great things in Toronto, a lot of great people. Um, but being empowered to to build and design and, and open minds as well about what, what does it look like to get better every day in baseball? And, and, uh, as many good things as we did, the AL East is brutal. <laughs> so <I feel laughs> it's like, a beast. Um, no question. Oh my goodness. But, and, and the fun part of that was that, um, we knew, you know, it's hard to outspend the Yankees and the Red Sox. <laughs> and so we knew we had to be different. Um, and I honestly feel really good about the system and the people they have in place there. I'm excited to see this, that you group of young players um, having fun, um, you know, being incredible competitors and, and winning. And, and hopefully that translates into a World Series. But but what I recognize really gives me joy is also building, you know, and, and I know you know, the history before me, I know there's been a lot of building with the the devils and I'm sure a lot of the fan base are ready to win just, just like the staff and the players are too. Um, but I do recognize some similar things. I do recognize that there are some opportunities to, to learn and improve. There's already a strong foundation in base. You know, I, I believe in Megan Duggan and Chris Stackpole and that staff. I believe in Fitzy and, and all the great people here, um, Lindy and, and I think um, that energized me in a, in a really great way. And I think, you know, COVID certainly had its complications and challenges and, and things too. So I recognize how much I've learned over the, the last seven years. And I think it, to your point too, doing it in a different sport and one that I don't know a lot about is also a, a real challenge for me that, that I'm excited about. So again, not doing it from scratch. There's a lot, lot of foundation in place, but I think some of the things that I learned as baseball has evolved, especially in these last few years, um, I can really see, you know, applying and the opportunities here uh, in, in hockey too. There are differences clearly in the two sports and, and you'll be learning as you go along, but our athletes, athletes, they just want to be the best they can be. And if you provide them a path and a plan that they can understand they buy in or are there differences sport to sport in their personalities and their approaches? That's a really interesting question. And, and you're right that every sport is different. Um, and, uh, but I think we really do have more similarities than differences at the end of the day um, and respect the context. But one of the things I've been so incredibly fortunate in my career is having breadth. <laughs> like the, I feel like there's almost no sport I haven't, um, uh, worked with from world bass fishing to the NBA and the NFL. And, um, but I will say, especially in my time with IMG Academy, I was very fortunate to spend time with the special operations military community, um, even medicine. And, and I like to think of those as maybe the most extreme environments where 
um, you know, winning is life and death. And so, you know, the consequences there of what we feel is is important, winning a Stanley Cup or a, a World Series um, have so much gravity. And, you know, what I learned from a lot of those operators and surgeons and professionals was winning is so important that their focus on the process of what they do and how they do it, um, their openness to learn and be honest about their performance, reflect, think about what adjustments they need to make to, to get better, to focus on how a team works collectively together, to listen to all ideas and make the right decisions. Um, those are universal traits. And I really do feel like the best athletes, the best coaches I've come across, the best teams share those very similar, similar um, qualities that that competitiveness to win but such competitiveness that they're willing to focus on the process of what they do and how they do it and that they do want to get better every day and um and so i've that's one of the things i've loved about my journey in performance psychology honestly i see that as a father as well um there's not a day that goes by where i'm not humbled in some respect by my kids (laughs) and thinking okay back to the drawing board um but but I think that's the beauty of performance is that it's everywhere, um, and that uh, you know as long as we respect the context um, and understand the differences, then then we can really we can get better every day, and, and that is a beautiful thing. You mentioned the psychology aspect, and I think that's the most fascinating endeavor when it comes to all sports psychology. But and interestingly enough, when we were doing those interviews with the uh, prospects, there was a sports psychologist in the room which 10 years ago might have been unheard of when it comes to the sports world, but it's amazing how the, the leagues have adapted and realized the importance of this in place. I'm actually just curious to go a little way back to the academy, the IMG Academy, and how you kind of got involved, because you were the, the director of mental conditioning department there, and you you consulted with many pro sports. You mentioned the U.S. military, this, the SOCOM, Special Operations Forces, but how did you get involved in the psychology, whether it's sports psychology or military psychology, like, what was it that fascinated you and, and how have you seen it grown over the years? No, thank you. That's a great question. I, so I'm very lucky that as a kid, it fascinated me. So I, I think my I have high curiosity as a person, but um, there were a couple of moments in my career as a kid, as a fan. In fact, one of them was a big rugby match. And, and for any of you who've seen Braveheart, you probably know that Scotland and England have a pretty strong rivalry, a bit of history there. Um, but watching that, uh, there was a particular game when I was 13 where England were the favourites, but Scotland, you know, uh, had an unbelievable uh, victory. And it was actually before the game even was played when they were singing the anthem and the look on their faces. I knew that emotionally and mentally those guys were going to win. And even though it was an upset, um you could tell. Uh, and so that to me created this massive question. And similarly, that year was a very famous year when England lost on the, in the semifinals of the football world cup, soccer world cup on the penalty shootout with incredible players, but hitting the, hitting the ball 20 feet over the crossbar. <laughs> and so something I'm sure they would have done in their sleep. Um, but the fact that our mind and our emotions can influence winning and losing um so much intrigued me and no one really had a good answer for how to prepare is that something you're just born with or can you train for that um 
And so, you know, I ended up pursuing that in graduate school and you know, uh, masters and PhD over in the United States. And, um, uh, you know, and it was before um, there were steadfast careers in the field of sports psychology. Um, but there are a lot of great professionals out there. Um, and you're right, you know, a lot of teams are waking up to that now. I think of how do you not just check a box and say you're looking after players, but actually see it as a competitive advantage um, and taking care of the physical and mental health of our players too. You know, I think that's equally as important as as using as, as a tool and as a mental skill that we improve. Um, but, you know, it's 2022. <laughs> and I think to me in some ways now, if teams that aren't doing that, they're missing the boat. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that the Blue Jays were able to invest a lot into building a mental performance team and having some really strong mental health aspects. And so it's great to see that the Devils uh, believe in that too. But I know it is younger in the hockey world um, than, than it is in baseball. So I'm excited about how we integrate that provide great service to players, but also support the, the whole team and uh, being mentally strong and really helping them compete at their best. Yeah, I think that's fascinating you say that because there was a coach I used to work with whom one of the things he would always say is hockey games are won and lost before the puck even drops. It comes down to your mentality, your preparation, all those things. Before the game even begins, you've already either won this game or you've lost this game. So when you look at an individual basis if you could kind of walk us <clears throat> excuse me through the process a little bit so you get this young 21 year old upstart right winger named Matt Lachlan he comes in he's got a skill set that he needs to work on or whatever so you meet with him how do you map out a program for that individual player what are the individual aspects you're looking at then how would you develop a program can you kind of walk us through the process to give fans a little insight on how you work with some of these guys I think it's a great point and I think uh Matt, clearly, I know you spend a lot of time in the gym. And so I think that, that that's a great starting point, right? If we do think of, you know, your physical skills and, you know, the training that you would do just to, to get stronger, even, even though you're very strong as it is. Uh, I think that we, we ask that question of players too. Like, you know, what are you doing, you know, for your mind? You know, how do you warm up your mind? Um, you know, what are the exercises and, and how you're getting stronger? And, and most people don't have a good answer, right? That we some, simply do it or we don't. Um, and so we leave a lot to chance. And I know people work way too hard to leave maybe the most important parts to to uh, to chance. But so one thing is having a mental game plan um, and understanding what that is, how we prepare, how we compete, how we recover. Um, but I think on the simplest level, what I kind of like to think about and what I would ask Matt is like when you're competing at your best, you know, describe that. What is that like? You know, how, and one of the things we often ask is, is how much are you thinking? And, and quite astonishingly, a lot of the time they'll actually say nothing, not much at all. And then we, we flip that though and we think about your worst performances, um, you know, how much are you think, you know, what's going through your mind. And actually, a lot of the time, our worst performances are when we're flooded with way too much. We're thinking 100 miles an hour. You know, we have 10 different things that we're thinking about. Um, so actually, a lot of mental performance is often helping you think less and not more. 
It's having clarity. It's being in the present moment and it's letting your body do what it knows how to do. And so often, you know, that is a very individual thing. So I think understanding uh, one size does not fit all, help a player become more self-aware, help them understand what is actually going on. Coaches uh, video can be really helpful too in understanding, you know, what is happening in, in performance. Um, but similar to creating a gym workout, right? What are the muscle groups that you need to strengthen? Uh, when, when is that important? You know, is it your, um, is it your focus? Is it your, your confidence? Is it your daily motivation? Is it your ability to, to manage pressure? And can we develop routines that are going to help you be more consistent? Um, you know, those are all very much individual, but I think a lot of it, if we put the physical analogy in there too, it's, it's what's your game plan, you know, and, and then what's your, your strategy each week to work on that and improve that for those poor soccer players that, that kicked the ball over the the, uh, the crossbar in the World Cup finals. Um, we can't simulate World Cup finals every day in practice, but you know what? We can simulate pressure and we can create performance routines that help you control what you can control. And um, by putting those structures in place and, and getting reps, you know, it's where the, the talents of uh, Lindy and, and other coaches simulating you know, pressure in practice and, and being very deliberate in the way that they design practices, design the schedule and having concrete skills and routines to fall back on. Um, you know, it's uh, the expression in the military, military they would often use is you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. And so how are we weaving in mental performance into our training? Um, and so that that's certainly, a, you know, without any mystery or magic bullets, you know, repetition builds strength. So let's be really deliberate about the mental strength that we're, we're building too. And, you know, you've referenced the, it's my term here, fragility, but these athletes who are a personalities, they've been the best at their craft since they could play the sport. They will run into confidence crises and you hear it all the time in hockey. Uh, you'll hear it in baseball too. They just, Listen, they they just can't get a hit. Baseball, you 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 fail seven out of ten times, as they say, and you go to the Hall of Fame because you're a 300 hitter. Although very few are hitting 300 in this Major League Baseball season, like 225 is is like a good batting average. But my point is, these are guys who are consistently successful, and then they run into a failure, or they're no longer the number one guy because it's such a competitive field and a competitive team. They might be number five. Their ice time is not as high as it once was. So how do you deal with that outwardly where they're going to tell you everything is great, but now you've got to be able to work with them to say, well, you're not hitting these performances. Why? And so what is that nature of the athlete who has always been successful and then runs into some problems and how do you get him or her out of that? You know, I think one of the big things is to realize that, uh, it happens to everybody, right? And that, um, you know, I think often expectations, um, you know, and it is an interesting one. If you look at the combine um, as well, right? And a lot of these kids have been the best in the world, you know, and always the best there, and they haven't failed. And that's one of the trickiest things because we know at some point in that journey, they are going to fail. 
And so what are the tools that are going to help them get back um, and focus on, let go of all the distractions and all the thoughts and be able to really just simplify and let themselves perform in the present moment. Um, and it is a really hard thing. And so I think one of the things is, is demystifying it, you know, because very often players can get to start thinking about the past, you know, and get stuck in, oh, no, you know, all the these are the past mistakes that are going to haunt me and come up again or the future as well. And and now am I going to lose all of these things or, you know, the expectations or are people going to say or my contract? There's a lot of fears, but um, but really ultimately being able to trust your training and trust your process and let go of those and be able to focus on the task at hand is is the most important part of that. And so, again, the more developed a game plan is, you know, and getting reps of, the, of those skills increases your chances of doing that. And, and it is why I kind of use that military or medical example too, because, you know, with, with death or, or life and death as a consequence, of course, it's very easy to jump in the future or the past, but it takes incredible discipline to know the stakes are that high and to be able to let go of all of those distractions and just focus on what you're doing at this present moment um, is incredibly hard. And that's why we need to be prepared for it. So I think we we really try to be proactive, that this is stuff we can be working on now, you know, and as a part of our regular, train, regular day training, rather than waiting to when a problem does happen. Because when a, a problem does happen, now we haven't, you know, developed this skill and, and, and we're not prepared. Um, and it is really hard, you know, this is why, that's why people get paid a lot of money to do it, um, you know, and work their whole lives uh, to do that. But we can be more strategic and prepared for that too and build those mental strengths before we we need them. What is the work that you have to do either in your previous role with the Blue Jays or at IMG? Now you'll have to do it in hockey with the New Jersey Devils to, I don't want to say break a barrier, but to work with the coaching staff because they're judged on wins and losses. We win more often than we lose. I'm going to have longevity. The losses start to pile up and I better be prepared to move. And yet players, we're seeing more. We see it in the NBA. There's more rest. The player won't play in this series. He'll miss this game. If a player's not at 100% uh, or as close to 100% as you can get physically, then you need another day before you get back onto the ice and yet the coach is saying, that's my star player. So what's the line between playing through pain and the trust that long-term this is going to work and the short-term pressures that a coach is facing to tonight's game is the most important thing. I need this guy tonight. I can't let him have two more days of practice or therapy. So how does that relationship work so that there's an understanding that, yeah, it, it is the best plan, even though there might be some short-term hurt? Sure. I think there's two, there's two sides to that, right? Um, so one, in terms of workload management, I think you're right. Like some of the MBA examples, and I think there are a lot of myths about managing workload and, and monitoring players' recovery means that they're pulled off the ice or off the court. Um, and actually, every group I've worked with, it's the, it's the opposite, right? It's, it's that we are monitoring and, and trying to better understand each individual's response to stress and I'm talking physical stress that um, 
that we are tweaking and adjusting how they prepare and how they recover so that they can be on the ice or that they can be on the field. Um, that was something we had a lot of success with in Toronto so that players understood that everything was about making sure they could be on the field so that Charlie Montoya or the coaching staff um, would always have their choice of availability so they could make the right decisions for to put the best position for the club to, to win every given day um, and not pulling the player off the, the field unless it was you know a danger to them at that point. But it's what can we do to prepare and recover those guys adjust or adjusting around that that's key. So I think that's one important concept. I think the second part of it, though, is really seeking to understand what the coach's needs are. You know, what are we trying to achieve, which is ultimately, you know, not just one Stanley Cup, right, but, you know, sustained success um, and to compete for Stanley Cup repeatedly. Uh, and a lot of that means that um, we are thinking about the big picture. We are thinking about um, how to keep developing guys. I think that's one of the other myths in Major League Baseball that we wrestled with early, that you know, it was the belief of many that once players are in the Major Leagues, they're done, right? That they're just there to win. Whereas what I've seen with the really, truly great athletes and players is that they want to compete with themselves every single day. And I use using the tennis analogy, you know, we just had Roland Garros recently and we had a discussion with some staff yesterday about Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic and, and uh, Rafa and Roger uh, Federer. And this is a golden era, but I think part of what makes those guys so great and with so many grand slams is the way that they compete with each other. Like, they could have retired 10 years ago and had among the best careers in, in tennis. But I think they are relentless and they want to get better every day and they've continued to evolve and get better. And I believe why not the same for a major league player, for you know, a baseball player, for the Russell Wilsons of this world who they're not done. They're not content with the Super Bowl or a World Series. They want to get better and push themselves all the time. And so development never stops. And while development in NHL right now refers more to prospects, man, I think you know Jack Hughes and Nico and, and the rest of the group, they've got a, a lot of growing and developing to do um, and win. You know, the, those things are not separate. And I think the likes of a Federer and Nadal are proof that guys can continue to evolve. Um, now, physically, those guys are, might be you know, declining, but they're adjusting and they're finding different ways to compete and be at the top of the game. And, and I think that's inspiring. And it's, you know, my pursuit is about human potential, you know, and how can we get the most out of humans, you know, to evolve and, and improve. And, uh, and so that's part of what I'm excited to bring. And I think you're right. It is a bit of a paradigm shift. Um, it's not development and then winning you know, that there is a relationship between the two that we can, um, you know, we can really do something special. I mean, that's really fascinating when you think about it, too, because, as you said, we think development, getting to the major leagues, then, oh, good, you're done, you're, you're finished, you made it. But as these guys, as their physical abilities, when you think like the older veteran players, as their physical abilities decline, they have to kind of adapt to their game a little bit. So the development almost never stops. And one of the things you said with the, the soccer players that are missing the shots 20 feet over the goalpost, uh, a lot of it was you need to simulate pressure. And I wonder, because I remember one of the first times I heard of sports psychology was with 
in, in the National Football League with kickers. So mm-hmm. kickers would get their own individual sports psychologists that would come and work with them on visualizing that pressure-filled moment when they need to make that kick. And I just wondered, you know, how do you simulate pressure? Like, what are some of the things you have to do to create an environment where it's obviously you're on the ice, you're in practice, so it's not the same as Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final Overtime. But how do you ramp up and simulate that pressure that the player can feel that so that maybe they're visualizing it and experiencing it before it actually happens on the ice, so that when it does, it's already kind of second nature? A hundred percent. And I think it starts with um, it starts with the controlling the controllable, right? Like what are the elements of a skill? So uh, kicking in the NFL is a great example, right, of, you know, whether the distance may change, but there's always a snap, a holder, certain number of steps and a target that they're hitting like that part is controlled and can be synthesized. And so, you know, what is that ideal um, for a player? And often may involve a deep breath. It may involve, you know, rehearsal or um, cues for the target. It may involve a physical routine in a lot of ways that physical routine is a way to also switch the mind off so that the mind is able to be in that that performance zone and and to just kick. Um, But, uh, you know, once you've designed that piece of it, now it's kind of testing that in different environments, right? So whether that's mentally rehearsing um, in stressful situations, whether it's actually having fun and having teammates distract, you know, or, or whatever kind of, consequences there are for hitting or missing a target um you can be creative in creating distractions granted it may not be the stakes of the seventh game of a stanley uh stanley cup series or or super bowl um but there are different strategies you can do and and can that player bring themselves back to that routine that helps set their mind up for success um as opposed to not having a game plan and everything on the line and suddenly going into that environment where now you have a lot of stimulus. Um, and unfortunately, you see that too often, right? That people go into those moments and they change their game plan at the last moment. Whereas actually, you want to do the thing that you've done thousands of times before and, and really try to keep it simple. Um, you know, it's a simple thing, just not easy to do. So we, we certainly believe in having that game plan and, and getting reps and, as best you can. You can't do it exactly, um, but what, what can you control in those situations is key. And I know you mentioned a few guys, Russell Wilson being one, Vlad Guerrero Jr. another. Who are some guys you've worked with or athletes that you've worked with that you really enjoyed your time and really seen their game go to the next level and, and improve on their development, whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally and take those big steps because obviously you work with a lot of big names so it's nice to see Devils fans I'm sure want to know like some other players you've worked with it so they can see that kind of success repeat here yeah and I, and I certainly do not want to name drop or, or anything because you know they I think again one step back certainly not about me but I'm really fortunate to have worked on a lot of good teams and I think that is the key that between coaching staff athlete training, um, strength and conditioning, like the, those best teams are the ones where everyone is is really in sync around a, a player to help them thrive and, 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 you know, do what they need to do. So certainly I think 
you know, the IMG family was a, was a great one to see a lot of players be successful. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think uh, tennis is, is funny, as I mentioned, you know, Nadal and Federer and, and some of those guys, they weren't at IMG, but certainly the likes of, you know, uh, Maria Sharapova and um, Kena Shakuri and, and a lot of, you know, great players came out of that system very much on, on that, um, you know, openness to learn, the, the incredible competitiveness and, and, you know, a support team that really was, you know, a team around them to, to help get the most out of their uh, getting better every day. So, Angus, we appreciate your time. I have one more question and we'll let you run. We know you're on your way home as you've joined us uh, today from Newark, uh, of course, the, the home offices of the New Jersey Devils. So what what is an immediate impact you want to make in your new role working with Chris and working with Megan and those who report to them uh, that will be a concrete kind of easy to see result? Because Devils fans, look, last year was a disappointment. There are reasons for it. But I tell everyone, don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. There's a lot of really good foundational pieces here. But you are, as uh, Bill Parcells famously said, what your record says you are, and the Devils didn't make the playoffs. So what might be a concrete improvement area of betterment that that a fan might see from this club? What do you hope to attain? It's a great question. And um, and, and hard for me to give you something tangible. Like what, what I can say is that... You can't tell us 20 more wins? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, right? Out, the outcome is a, is a byproduct, but but certainly what we're really hoping to do is is really maximize this summer. So obviously, right now there's a lot of attention and focus on on scouting and making sure we we do the best job possible coming into the the draft. Um, but I'm super excited about the the camps and the training opportunities we have. You know, to to get players together, to bring them into this environment um, and for development camp right after the draft, but then also you know in our preseason buildup. And I think for me, a lot of it is about already great people in the building, but it's really more about you know synchronizing all of those efforts, you know, and and how are we approaching, um, you know, the the preparation and recovery for each performance. So you know, can, are there opportunities for us in in the way that we have, you know, the morning skate or, or practice design and really work with the coaching staff um, to share, you know, the data that we collect, you know, physically, but um, can we also integrate some of the, the mental performance goals, you know, of, of the players and the coaching staff together. So for me, it's probably a lot more about alignment and, and getting everybody on the, on the same sheet and, and my own learning, frankly, too. So there's plenty of things been going on uh, here before me. Um, so my role is how can I best serve the staff and, and to do, um, you know, to execute their intent uh, and to really kind of bring all those pieces together. That's um, hopefully that translates into to wins right off the bat. But I think uh, for me, more important is, is really getting clarity and, and helping people thrive in their roles and, and that collaboration across departments. And that was certainly something um, that took time in Toronto, but was was a, a real success. And again, they're they're working now on translating uh, that into wins uh, in the, the AL East that's so competitive. 
Um, so I certainly know that that uh, fans, I'm sure, are, uh, want wins now, and, and I certainly hope that's the case. But we'll certainly be doing everything we can behind the scenes to to uh, to get our process to the best place it can be, and and, uh, and let the wins take care of themselves on the ice. Well, we wish you the very best of luck in those goals. It was a pleasure meeting you when you joined the club late in the season, but sharing this time, some 40 minutes or so, maybe a little bit more with you has been uh, really beneficial to me and insightful for our listeners and our fans. So thanks very much, uh, Angus, and good luck this year. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Angus Mugford, the newly named Senior VP, Player Development and Performance for the New Jersey Devils, our guest this week on Speak of the Devils. Sam, as always, great having some time spent with you. Look forward to a little face-to-face interaction as uh, the summer moves on, all those things that Angus mentioned, the draft, uh, the development camps, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's amazing. Like The season is really kind of right around the corner, even though the Stanley Cup playoffs haven't concluded. Devils will be back out on the ice soon, that's for sure. Absolutely, man. I miss you. I miss your mug. Now I now I know uh, you are in a relaxed uh, mood. You're, 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 you're just not thinking with, with the straight head. At any rate, that will wrap things up for Speak of the Devils. I want to thank our producer, Andrew McLean, for his strong work on this show. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us. We do appreciate your company each and every time. Again, Speak of the Devils, presented by our good friends at RWJ Barnabas Health. Until next time, everyone, be safe, be well. So long.